a series called The Good Life. And we've been asking kind of uh, deep questions about what is truth? How do we know what's true and what's not true? We've asked the question, what's wrong with this world? Why are there so many problems in this world? We've asked the question, uh, what's the solution to this? And I think now more than ever, this might be the most relevant question of what we're all experiencing today is how now shall we live? How now shall we live? In light of this election, in light of all the recent events, what's God calling us to be? And so I want to read some scripture for you before we begin. This is in your bulletin, in your handout. We're gonna, I just want to read Jeremiah out of Jeremiah 29 and Matthew 5. This is the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord, uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 4, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Matthew chapter five, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, the church, you are the light of this world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give its light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I I pray, God, that you speak to me, speak through me, that, God, your word could pierce us, Your word could shape us. Your word, God, would convict us and mold us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. God, these are interesting times that we are living in, and we need your truth, and we need your wisdom more than ever, God. And so, God, speak through me, and I just pray if there's anything that comes out of my mouth that is not honoring and glorifying to you that we could easily dismiss, but that is what is of you, Lord, that we could hold on to that truth and cherish it, and that would shape us, God, to be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Crazy week this week, right? (laughs) Crazy week. Um, This Friday at the Razor Carnival, it was... It was really interesting because one of the first guys I talked to from our church comes up to me. I'm like, hey, man, how are you doing? He's like, oh, 
so much better after Tuesday night, right? <laughs> feeling great, man. Praise the Lord. Our country's getting back on track again, right? And he's just feeling amazing. And then literally, I talked to someone else the same night, and they're scared to death. <laughs> and they're praying, come, Lord Jesus, come, right? In the same church. And you know, for me, if I'm just being honest with y'all, I've been kind of heartbroken by all this stuff. Not because of who won and who lost, but because I see people that I care about hurting. I see people that I care about divided. I see people that I care about judging one another. I don't see peace. You know, it's interesting. I'm Wednesday, I'm in the hospital. One of our close family friends comes to visit my dad. Sweetest lady in the world. She'd bend her back over for anybody. I mean, no ounce of evil is in this woman. She's talking about the election. She's like, I voted for Trump, right? And we're just talking about this. I get on Facebook, and what, is, what, are, what are the articles we see? Man, anyone who voted for Trump is some racist bigot, right? And it just breaks my heart because, man, that's the furthest thing from the truth. But then I get another text from one of my groomsmen, Chinese-American. I've never seen him scared. I've never seen him fearful. And he texts me and my buddies, and he says, guys, for the first time, I genuinely, genuinely feel afraid to be a minority in this country. Right? People are hurting. There's no peace. And then I take a step back and I look at like what's been going on in our city just in the DFW area and I look at the like the Dallas shootings that happened this summer and Sarah my wife and I we go over for dinner to a friend and to our surprise we learn that he left his corporate job to join the Palano Police Department and he tells us man I was so inspired from all these events and I just wanted to make a difference and his dream is to be a school cop and to teach kids and to show kids that cops are good people, that they're for them, they're not against them, right? And we're like, this is amazing. But then he shares this, this story that he's telling his friends, hey, I'm, I'm going to be a cop. And he says, man, I've gotten so much just kind of judgment, so much just kind of people kind of backing off from me. And here's a person who just wants to make a difference and he's He's getting criticized for it. But then, then I see, like, I had a conversation, Pastor Dennis and myself and Ben Fawcett, our small groups director, and Isaac Trevino, who work, does communications for us. We go to Grand Prairie to kind of see, discover if we can partner with this new church, a church called Freedom Church, predominantly black African-American um, church. And we meet the pastor, Pastor Bishop Blake, and we start talking, and we're excited about what they're doing for their community. And we start talking about just the issues of our day and race relations. And he says, guys, I just want you to know, I had to raise my kids and tell them what to do when a cop pulled them over. Not because I'm anti-cop, because I just wanted my kids to come home safe. And I thought, man, I was never taught any of that. This stuff breaks my heart. Man, do you see the divisions? Do you see the hurt? Do you see the tribes that we're in? 
You go to Facebook and it's like a vomit pool. And people are just yelling and screaming at each other. In our own church. <laughs> and the question that we have to ask ourselves is this. is What does God want us to do? How does God want us to live? He says the church is the light of the world. Not some politician. Not some party. Not some social program or economic plan or some business. That every single one of you in here who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, he says you are the light of the world. He says I'm going to use you to change this place. So the question then becomes... How now shall we live? How are we going to live now, post this election? First thing I think that we can do, very simple, not radical, is this. Point number one is just get involved in our communities. Get involved in our cities. Get involved in our neighborhoods. Get involved in our PTAs, get involved in our schools, get involved in our workplaces. We got to get involved. You know, this passage is extremely relevant to what we're facing today. Um, what, the, let me just give you the context in Jeremiah. What was happening was the Israelites, they had their own kingdom, right? They had their own value system, their own way of life. They were in God's country. But God said, if you disobey me, you're going to be judged just like everyone else. And they disobeyed God. And so God raised up the Babylonian Empire, secular, liberal, godless, worshipped many gods, pagan to its core, and sacked Israel, overtook Israel. And the Babylonians, they were smart. They knew how to really control people. You want to know what they did? They didn't enslave the Israelites, the Jewish people, because they said, you know what, that's not going to do any good. Because eventually they're just going to rise up and maybe take us over one day. They didn't do a mass genocide because that's kind of messy. They knew the best way to control the Jewish people was to make them one of their own. Was to make them look like them, talk like them, think like them, eat like them, and worship like them. To assimilate them into their culture. And so you can be imagined, if you're a Jew taken from your homeland and now you're in this foreign place and, you, and you're surrounded by people who have different political views, different religious views, uh, different ideologies, eat different things, talk in a different language, you're in a conundrum. And there was this prophet that rose up in Jeremiah 28 and they said, guys, listen up. These people, these Babylonians, they're wicked, they're evil. And so you don't need to live in that city. You need to live outside the walls of this city. And you need to pray that God destroys that city. And you want to know what God did to that prophet? He struck him down dead. And God sent a loud and a clear message to his people. And he said, don't you dare separate yourselves. Don't you dare live outside these walls. And he raises up the prophet Jeremiah in verse 5. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters uh, to uh, increase in number. Don't decrease in number. What he's saying to the Jewish people is get involved. 
Live amongst them, work amongst them, talk with them, eat with them, dialogue with them, live life with them, get deeply involved. Now guys, that's, that's hard for us Christians because the temptation for us Christians is this, is that we want to separate and we want to seclude ourselves from anyone that looks different, talks different, acts different, believes differently than us, right? So if we don't like our public schools, we're going to separate and send our kids to a Christian private school. If we don't like the Starbucks cups this year, the UD cups, we're going to have our own Jesus coffee cup, right? We don't like the boy bands out here, so we're going to have our own horrible Christian boy bands, which is horrible, right? <sighs> the depravity. I mean, that's what we do in our neighborhoods. People start to move in who don't look like us or talk like us, and maybe they don't mow their lawns the way, as much as we'd like them to mow our lawns. And so we're getting that, so we're like, I'm getting out of here. I'm moving to Anna, baby, right? I'm moving up north. <laughs> but guys, we have to stay involved. We can't separate ourselves. We can't allow it to be this us versus them. We have to get deeply involved and bloom where God has planted us. There's this story um, of two school districts in St. Louis. One was an under-resourced, at-risk community, a school district maybe like DISD or a couple, you know, kind of low-income areas, at-risk areas. And then there was another school district, much like Plano or Frisco, about 30 miles apart. In the under-resourced uh, school district, they lost their accreditation. Now, these neighborhoods are complex, right? You know, it's, families are broken in these neighborhoods. There's corruption in the school government. There's a lot of reasons for why they lost um, this accreditation. It wasn't because the kids were violent or they're doing drugs, anything like that. It's complicated, but they lost their accreditation. And so there's this law that Missouri had passed that said if your school district loses your accreditation, you can choose to go to another school. And so what the school board did to make it as hard as possible for the people to leave, they said, all right, you can go to school, but you can go to this, you know, nice, rich, affluent suburb 30 miles away, thinking no one else, no one would want to travel that far. But to their surprise, a thousand kids got on a bus at like 5.30 a.m. to go to that school. And on the surface, you're like, man, this is awesome, right? This is awesome because... All of us want our kids to have a good education. And those parents, they were interviewing those parents. They said, man, we've been praying that our, we, our kids would have an opportunity to learn. But this issue got raised up in the affluent suburban community at the school board meeting. And people went nuts. They went nuts. They were angry. They were mad. And I just want you to listen to this audio clip of what some of the parents were saying and how they felt about these kids, elementary school, middle school children coming into their community. And just ask yourselves, is this the type of attitude Jesus would want me to have? Listen to this clip. Years ago, when the Metrolink was being very popular, St. Charles County put to a vote whether or not we wanted the Metrolink to come across into our community. And we said no. And the reason we said no is because we don't want the, the different areas, I'm going to probably be very kind, 
coming across on our side of the bridge, bringing with it everything that we're fighting today against. A mother named Bessarami approaches the microphone. This is what I want to know from you. In one month, I send my three small children to you, and I want to know, is there going to be metal detectors? Because I, wa I want to be clear. I I'm no expert. I'm not you guys. I'm, I'm, I don't have an accreditation, but I've read. I've read and I've read and I've read. So we're not talking about the Normandy School District losing their accreditation because of their buildings or their structures or their teachers. We are talking about violent behavior that is coming in with my first grader, my third grader, and my middle schooler that I'm very worried about. And I want to know, you have no choice like me, I want to know where the metal detectors are going to be, and I want to know where your drug-sniffing dogs are going to be, and I want, this is what I want, I want the same security that Normandy gets when they walk through their school doors. And I want it here. And I want it, and I want that security before my children walk into Francis Howe. Because I shopped for a school district. I deserve to not have to worry about my children getting stabbed or taking a drug or getting robbed. Because that's the issue. I wonder how many Christians were in that room applauding when that lady said, we need metal detectors for a first and a third grader. Jesus says that when you welcome the stranger, you welcome me. When you welcome the stranger, you welcome me. And it breaks my heart because there's a lot of issues there, but what's the root of it? The root of it is these people are different than me. These people look different from me. These people have different values than me. So you stay away. And Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth. And the salt can only be effective if it gets out of the shaker. <laughs> the salt can only be effective if it gets deeply ingrained in the meat. Salt is a preservative. And God says you are to be involved in your communities. You're to be ingrained in your communities. You're to bring life and preservation to your communities. It's on us. And we might not think that's not happening here in Plano, but church, let me tell you, Plano has changed dramatically and is changing still. When I moved back here a year and a half ago, I thought I was moving to just good old white conservative Plano suburbia. But it's not the case. Plano has grown to 273,000 people as the same size of Buffalo, New York, and St. Paul, Minnesota. Plano has increasingly become more ethnically diverse. Justin Razor, the school where we did our uh, carnival, three miles down the street, there are 38 different languages in that school alone. We're becoming, we're becoming ethnically diverse. We're becoming economically diverse. One in every four students in PISD, one in every four, is on a free or reduced lunch program. For the first time in 2010, white students in the Plano school districts are the minority. And then you add Toyota coming in, you add all the businesses coming in, 
and Plano is changing, and the temptation for us is going to be like, I don't like this. I want to stay away. I want to keep these people back, and I want to hold on to what is comfortable and what is secure for me. But Jesus says we are the salt and that we have to stay involved, and we have to deeply root ourselves to where God has planted us. That's on us. And so the first thing in the midst of of how we should live as a church, I want to tell you, stay where you're at and get involved with where you're at. But as we're involved, as we're deeply rooted in where God has planted us, point number two is this, we've got to keep our identity. We have to keep our identity in our communities. We have to keep our distinctiveness. We have to keep our flavor, all right? Jeremiah tells the Jews, he says, increase in number there. Don't decrease, right? He says, increase in number. Keep your Jewish traditions. Keep your Jewish roots. Make more Jewish families, right? Make more Jewish babies. Like, keep your identity. Jesus says, you need to be salt, Meaning you need to have this flavor. You need to have this distinctiveness. And if you lose your saltiness, what good are you, right? And so as a Christian, as we stay in our community, we have to be intentional and make sure that we don't look like everyone else. And that, that, that could be a variety of things. That comes with our sexuality, meaning that we got to honor God with our body sexually, Right? Christians, we're like the same and all that type of stuff, it feels like. We got to be different when it comes to positions of power that we don't try to climb over people, but we seek to serve people. Um, But when I think about what makes us distinct, especially after this election, just a few things came to my mind that I I just want to share with you. And the first thing is this, is that if we really want to be different in our community, we got to first look at our own family life. Because how can we change our community and our neighborhoods if our house is a mess? You know, God says that to the pastor. He's like, you can't pastor a church unless you can manage your own household well. And so the first thing that we got to be different about is our family life. And now, I've been married about, I've been married a little over two years by the grace of God. My wife hasn't left me yet, okay? It's been a miracle. Um, Praise God for that. And what we've found is this, is that it's so easy for my wife and I, Sarah and I, just to go through the motions, right? To go from one event to the next, one dinner to the next, go to church. I mean, just fall into this routine, and we're eating together, and we're sleeping together, but we're just falling in this routine of just autopilot, and we're not being intentional. Now, I'm not big on, like, gender roles, right? Like, you know, I'm not like, all right, the man is the hunter and the provider because, guys, I went camping on a camping trip with my students, and I tried to chop firewood with sandals on, and I almost cut off my toe, okay? I'm not like the man's man here, okay? Um, But the one role I do believe that God says as clear as this is that the man is the spiritual leader of his house, And that doesn't mean you're the authoritative leader, you're the dictator, but you lead through sacrifice, you lead through service, and you lead by being gentle. And I got convicted. I just thought, my wife and I, it's like, we're not praying together. We're just going through the motions. And so this week we said, hey, let's let's try to wake up early and just do the small basic thing of just praying together, of just orienting ourselves onto God and what he wants for us. 
And it was hard, guys. My wife turned on the lights in the morning at like 5.30 and I yelled at her, right? <laughs> Didn't start off the day too well, right? <laughs> but we prayed. Husbands, we got to lead our wives. We got to set the tone. And then parents, we got to set the tone with our kids. The biggest shocker that I've, uh, I've noticed and observed in a year and a half of doing student ministry here is that our kids are running around like rabbits. I mean, seriously, they are more busy than we are. They go to band practice at like 6 a.m., right? And then they're in class all day, and not just like any class, like they're in like five AP classes, and they're feeling the pressure from their parents to perform. They're feeling the pressure to compete with their peers. And then after school, they got another band practice. And then they're in wrestling or tennis or football, you name it. And by the time we get your kid on a Wednesday night, let me tell you something. We, what we find is this, is our kids are exhausted. They're exhausted. And then we do have these crazy ideas that if our kid doesn't like get the grade we want, we ground them not from like an activity, we ground them from church. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I mean, I didn't know I was that bad of a speaker, you know? I don't know. I don't know. Um, we, yeah. And then I learned, like, oh, like, oh, we're not coming to church on this Sunday because we have some soccer game to go to. And then I'm just like, I just like, guys, can we just take a step back and just really think about what we're communicating to our kids? We are choosing not to prioritize God and our family's life, and we're choosing a soccer game and a participation trophy over worshiping God as a family and making that a number one priority. Amen. You can clap to that. As if we want to be different, we have to lead our homes. We have to set the spiritual agenda. And so for at least two hours, we're going to worship God because he is worthy of our worship. Otherwise, we're the same as any other family in Collin County. So that's number one. This is our family life. We have to be different. Number two, we've got to be different with our money. All right? You know, money's always a hot topic. It's always controversial. Um, but we've got to be different with our money. I was reading this book. I came across this book called Tinsel. And it was this guy who lived in the Northeast, and he learned about how crazy Christmas is in Frisco, Texas, which it's crazy, right? And so he was like, I'm just going to live in Frisco for three months and just kind of see what the culture of, of, of Christmas culture is like in Frisco. And this is what he found. He discovered that we were addicted to, to shopping, right? He said that in Frisco alone, that there's five million square feet of shopping within a one square mile radius in Frisco. Five million square feet. Now, guys, listen, I know we live in Concan. There's not a lot to do here, okay? There is not a lot to do here uh, in, around here. But what does that reveal? It reveals that people know we got money and people know we like to spend money on junk. On junk. They interviewed this family, this mom, and she said, you know what, I'm really trying to cut back this year with my kids, and I'm only going to try to spend $500 on my kid for Christmas this year. 
I was like, man, please adopt me into your family. That would be, that would be amazing. I'm 31, but I'll shave. I'll look young, you know. And then check this out. The mom actually gives in when the daughter complains about not having a laptop like her peers. And so the mom gives her kid a $1,200 laptop. Guys, this is what we're doing to our kids. This is like we're, this is, we're teaching them how to spend money. <laughs> and the, guys, the greatest indicator of what we really value is it's in our pocketbooks. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, how am I going to steward my money in a way that invests and advances the kingdom of God? You can invest it here. I don't care where you invest it, but you invest it in a place that is spreading the gospel, that is loving the poor, that is making his name known. Because that's what God calls us to do. And so we have to be different with our money. And then lastly especially after this election. We got to be peacemakers. We have to be peacemakers. Um, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, he says this. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Do you know Jesus was a peacemaker? Do you know Jesus didn't discriminate on who he offered peace to? Jesus went to the town that no one else goes. In John chapter 4, he says, I'm going through Samaria. Jewish people hated Samaritans. It was like worse than blacks and whites in the 1950s. And Jesus says, I'm going to Samaria. Why? Because Samaritan lives matter. And he goes to a fountain and he sees this woman who's been with five husbands and working on her six. And what does Jesus do? Does he, what does he do? He offers her a cup of living water. In Luke chapter 19, we learn of this dude named Zacchaeus, a greedy tax collector. This is the guy that Bernie Sanders hates, right? This is the Wall Street evil corporate guy who's making money off the poor and he's so ashamed of himself he's so, and he's so short, he's up in this tree and Jesus sees him in this tree and everyone else is like, all right, Jesus, rip into him. And what does Jesus do? He says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree because I'm coming to your house and we're having dinner. He's a peacemaker. You know, we see in the story of the prodigal son, a.k.a. the millennial, right? <laughs> the one who's living off of his folks in his parents' basement. And he's like, listen, Dad, to you and all you, whatever, just give me your money. I'm going to Vegas. And he goes to Vegas and he blows it all and he wastes it all. And then he's eating slop with the pigs. And what happens? He realizes I have a better life if I'm just a servant with my father. So he goes back to his father's house. And the moment the father sees him from a distance, the father runs to him, offers peace. In John chapter 3, we see Jesus' heart for the right-wing, conservative, legalistic moralist, Nicodemus. 
sneaks away at night, doesn't want to be seen. And what we see is that Jesus has this respectful dialogue of just listening to him and answering questions. And he offers peace by saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Church, Jesus was a peacemaker. And he calls us to be peacemakers. He calls us to offer hands of peace. And guys, the temptation is, is that we're going to, we come across people who just really upset us, right? Think of the people protesting after the election. Some of you guys are like so angry and so mad at them, right? You think of someone, you know, it's, it's patriot, you know, like we just think of, um, um, it's, it's, there's patriotism going on Veterans Day and we're honoring our troops. The national anthem gets played and we see someone kneeling during the national anthem and everything inside of us, right, is like we just want to like just tear into that guy. But guys, greater than our politics, greater than our, our views and greater than even our patriotism is that we are citizens of God, that we belong to the kingdom of God. And the greatest law in the kingdom of God is to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And that person with that protest sign, that's your neighbor. That person with that Trump hat on, that's your neighbor. That person who's legalistic, that's your neighbor. That person who is liberal, that's your neighbor. And Jesus says, we gotta offer peace we got to rise above. And how does that happen? I don't have all the answers, but I think it just happens if we just started to listen. If we stopped just yelling and pointing fingers and we just saw someone who maybe we disagreed with politically or lifestyle-wise, and instead of pointing blame, we just go and say, hey, I don't understand why you believe this. I would really just like to understand what you believe. You know, that's, that's how marriages work, right? Like, Sarah and I, we had this fight the other day, and I just slammed my fist down. I was like, listen to me, right? Let me tell you what's wrong. And that didn't go so well, okay? <laughs> and husbands, you know, man. We can't be telling our wives this is how it is. Wives, we can't be telling our husbands this is how it is. Marriages heal and marriages have peace when we just start to listen to each other and seek to understand before being understood. And church, that's my hope for us. Yeah, we all got views, and it's good to have those views, but let me tell you, we're called We're called to be ministers of reconciliation. We're called to be peacemakers. We're called to bring people together in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we gotta be involved in our city, in our communities. We gotta be different. Our family life's gotta be different. Our our money's gotta be different, how we spend it. We gotta be peacemakers. We gotta be different. But ultimately, church, ultimately, this is our mentality is that we seek the shalom of our communities. We seek the shalom of our communities. Jeremiah 29, 7 says this. It says, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. Now that word peace, um, it's this word shalom. 
And shalom, it means peace, but it doesn't mean like this inner peace you feel on the inside or this happiness. What it really means, um, it's this holistic peace of spiritual health where you're at peace with God. You're reconciled with God. It's this emotional health where you're reconciled with yourself. You're not thinking too high of yourself. You're not thinking too low of yourself, but rather you just think of yourself less and other people more. It's this um, relational health where we're not calling people names and, and criticizing and judgments, but where we fight for the poor and we fight for justice and we fight for peace and reconciliation. It's this environmental health or it's a proper attitude of creation that we're not going to worship creation, but creation is this gift, and God has called us to steward that and to cultivate it. And God's called you to be doctors, to bring healing in your land. God's called you guys to be business men and women, to bring economic prosperity in your land. God's called you something you do to be counselors and to bring healing in your land. That's shalom. It's this holistic idea. And what God is saying is this, is seek the prosperity. Seek the shalom of your community. Don't go into your community with your agenda. Don't go into the community with your type of, um, you know, bullet points that you want to get done. You go into that community and you listen. You, sing to bring, you, you seek to bring peace and you listen to the hurts and to the needs and then you go after it. This Friday, that's what we did at Razor. We did a carnival at Razor three miles down the street, and all we did is said, we heard about kind of the struggles and the challenges of that school, so we met with the principal, and we just asked, hey, what can we do? How can we help you guys prosper? And so they're like, they're like well, what are you guys good at? We're like, hey, we do carnivals well, so we threw a carnival, and it was amazing because right after the election where everyone's just hating one another, you see in this little just school, there's blacks, there's whites, there's Asians, Hispanics, everybody. And here's our church from kids to teenagers to adults to seniors, and they're just serving and enjoying one another. That's seeking the peace and prosperity of your school, of the school. I have students who are at Jasper High School, and they saw a gap in, their, in the spiritual health of their school, and they said, you know, David, we want to start a Bible study at Jasper. And so they start a Bible study on Thursday nights during their lunch period. They invited me to speak, and there's like 15 to 20 kids at this thing, student-led. They're seeking the peace and the prosperity of their school. You know, my wife, on Monday... Um, or the weekend before the election was like, David, I really want to do something for our neighbors. You know, I feel like these are tense times of this election, and I just want to be a blessing to our neighbors. And so what we did, we're like, all right, let's do this. My wife wrote up a little note saying, hey, we've seen signs for Trump, we've seen signs for Clinton, but we just want y'all to know, we understand these are stressful times, but we're all in this together, and if you ever need a helping hand, come to 2608. We're here for you, we love you, and we're praying for you, and we wrap that in a little flower, and so here I am, barely awake, walking the street at like seven in the morning, and then I see a neighbor comes out, and I'm like scared to death of him, right? Oh my gosh, <laughs> you weren't supposed to, he probably thinks I'm some hippie or some frutilati or something holding a flower, you know? But we passed them out, and check this out. I'm working on this talk, and I get a text from my wife Saturday, and one of our neighbors knocked on our door, 
a 70-year-old lady named Juanita offering homemade bread and uh, sweet butter, I think it was, with tears in her eyes, saying, thank you so much for that note. Thank you so much for loving this street. Guys, we got to seek the peace and prosperity of our city. We got to seek the peace and prosperity of our neighborhood. We got to seek the peace and prosperity of our schools, of our workplaces. Because Jesus says it's not a program, it's not a politician, it's the church. And so the question then becomes is this, well, how do we do it? Where do we get the power, right? Where do we get the strength? Church, let Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, compel you. Let Jesus Christ compel you. Paul says in Philippians 2, chapter 5, he says, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Let your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus, though he had everything, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. So much so that he, he died and he rose again so that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is King, that he is our Savior. And when you see Jesus serving and seeking prosperity for you, you'll be compelled to seek prosperity and peace for others. Jesus Christ, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he did not come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, guys, Jesus, he wasn't up in heaven just looking down on us and complaining and, and pointing fingers. He saw our need. He saw our desperation. He saw our hurt. He saw our division, and he chose to dwell among us. Jesus got involved. But Jesus was distinct, was he not? He was too liberal for the conservatives and he was too conservative for the liberals. He made everybody upset. But he held true to his convictions. But ultimately he lived not for the prosperity of himself but for the prosperity of us. We were naked and he clothed us. We were hungry and he fed us. We were empty and he made us full. And we know that because he stretched out his arms out wide on the cross and he took our shame, he took our guilt, he took our sin so that we might not perish but that we can prosper for eternity. And when you see our Savior doing that for you and doing that for me, well then we can do that to anybody, can we not? We can go out into our schools, into our workplaces, and we can just ask this question, God, how can I bring prosperity and peace to these people? Church, these are crazy times we live in, but God has offered hope through Jesus Christ and how he's chosen to communicate that hope is through us. What a beautiful privilege that is. Let's go out, amen. So tone it down on Facebook this week, all right? Just tone it down, just a little bit, all right? Love you guys. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord, God, we love you. And God, I'm blown away, Lord, by the length and the height and the width and the depth of how much you love us, how much you sought your prosper, us, our prosperity, how much you sought our shalom. And God, may we be partakers in this, Lord. May we come alongside you, God, and offer the hope and the salvation, God, that only Jesus Christ can bring. God, at the end of the day, it is Jesus Christ, your son, who we will bow down to. It is Jesus Christ who we will worship. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us be involved, you'd help us keep our identity, and you'd help us just to simply love our neighbors the way that you have loved us. God, I, uh, I just wanna open this up, Lord. I, I asked if there's anyone in here who walked in today not knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior. But you understand that he sought your peace, that you sought your he sought your prosperity, so much so that he died for you. And he rose again. The scripture says that anyone who believes in your heart and confesses with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, you will be saved. And so I just want to encourage you to give, have an opportunity to do that. Just simply, simple as ABC, just say, God, I admit a, I admit I'm a failure. I admit that I'm broken. But B, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. I believe that you sought my ultimate peace and prosperity. And because of that, I give my life to you. I commit my life to you. If that's you, could you just sign, take a connection card out and write a big A and circle it? Give us an email address or an address or a phone number and we want to contact you. If any of y'all need prayer, you feel heavy by the burdens that you're facing, you want to know more about Jesus Christ, you want to share a praise, I'll be in the connection room or in the prayer room uh, right over here. And so feel free to go there. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you, God, that you call us to be the light. You call us to be the hands and feet, pointing people to the only real Savior, the only one that matters, Jesus Christ. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.